answer that question by asking you two questions. One, is this or is this not? Chasing history. Jake Larson. I'm ready for some Monday night concussion protocol. And two-time Nebraska walk-on tryout participant Colton Stone. Sometimes it just like replays through my head. It's just like, wow. Yes, it is. Two, do I or do I not currently have a pulse? Yes, I do. Let's play football. Ben, first reaction, how do you like the intro? I love the intro. Love the, the best thing I've heard all day. <laughs> we had trouble, I'd say, finding what cuts we wanted to use. And in our, we have a promo cut, too. When we were talking about me trying out for the football team, Jake said I should just become a punter for the Omaha Beef. So that's in our promo that I think you should just start playing for the beef. But... Good morning, beautiful people. It's 10 a.m. on a Friday, so that means it's chasing history time. Jake Larson decided to bail on us this week uh, and go to New York for whatever reason, pretend to be a Creighton fan for what? They were there for what, a whole maybe two hours, and then they got bounced out of the tournament, so it's not like it mattered. Maybe three hours if you uh, count the warm-ups. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, and maybe, the, maybe they showed up the day before and they practiced. So. Who really knows? Now they're just out on the town. So sitting in for Jake, my good friend, I like to call him a friend, maybe he's not, Ben Jones. Ben, how are you this morning? I am great. I am so honored to be here and uh, excited to hash through some sports with you. As you know, Colton Stone, that's who I am. He's Ben Jones, and Jake is somewhere. Maybe he'll tweet in, maybe he'll text me. If not, I don't care, but we'll figure it out. So... Sports, obviously they're happening, things are happening, things are moving around, and things are being disappointing already. Um, I guess you could start with, I want to call it our opening set or opening number, it's the fact that Nebraska lost their first season opener since 1978, right? 1978. 1978. And uh, it was DeKalb Pauly, 14-8? to eight was Yeah, 14-8. It was the final score, and it's just... I I don't even know where to start with it because like you can pinpoint what the issue is. It's pitching. Like they gave up three runs in the seventh inning that kind of just blew the lead, and then uh, it just feels like they they just kind of hit a tailspin. Is what it kind of feels like whenever their pitching just goes south, and that and the fact that since there really is none, right? Like who do they rely on? It's not an issue with pitching. It's an issue with a lack of pitching. Um, and just with the guys you had hurt coming into the season with Chad Lundsman, Robbie Palkert, and uh, Jake McSteen, it's just the arms aren't there, especially in the bullpen. And that's something that's costing them already, and it's probably just going to keep costing them the rest of the way. Yeah, and uh, let me get their schedule pulled up here because I know they, they don't necessarily face like incredibly tough competition because I thought Cal Poly was a half-decent team, and I guess I was wrong. Someone told me they're not that great. I don't know if you've ever watched Cal Poly. I have not ever watched Cal Poly. So uh, maybe they are, maybe they aren't. Maybe, but they've still got to play them three more times. So I guess we'll find out if Cal Poly is better than Nebraska. Um, So they've got Cal Poly three more times after that game. And then Northern Colorado, Northwestern State, Oral Roberts, and then they hit basically into big 10 play where they'll and then they'll play Creighton UNO and Kansas State spread out through the season so they I mean we were saying it before Ben they 
you know, they, they played some halfway decent teams at the beginning of the year. You got UC Riverside is generally an all right baseball team. Washington State is up and down. Oregon State's always really good. Wichita State's pretty good. And then they kind of hit this stretch where they hit their home stretch where they should be winning almost all of these games to, like, get them prepared for the Big Ten. And they've already found themselves 0-1 against Cal Poly, and it wasn't, like, a close 0-1. Right. Well, those first games of the year when you're playing out in Arizona, you're obviously facing some superior competition um, with those teams from the West Coast. And you never really come out of those games with, a good record. Um, they were three and six in that stretch last year. They're six and five coming into their home opener this year. So really, that's not much of a cause for concern. And your team isn't really together by that point, And you're still getting a lot of timing down and things like that. Um, but you would like to see them win this first stretch of games, especially at home um, at Haymarket Park. And the fact that they dropped one um, yesterday is a little bit concerning, especially the way they dropped it. And it seems like these problems with the bullpen aren't something that's easily fixed, just since it is kind of a personnel issue. I think the – well, actually, they, they won this battle yesterday, but my my normal issues with Husker baseball, and I may have said this last week, is they don't score before the fourth inning most of the time. They don't score fast. And they leave almost double digits on base every time. Now, they left nine on base yesterday, and they scored five runs after the second inning. But they also had three errors. They gave up 13 hits. They gave up 14 runs. And they walked 10. So that's – I mean, you're giving 10 free base runners? Like, that's – and I know you you could say, yeah, pitching is obviously a cause for concern. Well, it is. But – you're going to give up 10 walks over, what, six pitchers? I mean, like, yeah, it's kind of spread out, but at the same time, right. it's the same game. So I I don't know. And then you just look at the, their strikeout numbers haven't been high. They only struck out, what, four yesterday compared to 10 walks. So I I don't know. I'm at, like, a loss for words of, what, like, what – and I know it's only, what, game 12? Right. It's March baseball. It's yeah. Well, March baseball might beat some Big Ten teams, right. I suppose. But I like I just I don't know. And I know like I, I like I said, I'm just lost. I don't know. I don't know where this team has to go do to fix this. I don't know if they just have to keep relying on offense. I don't know if they just try to just swing away and just score just try to score as many runs as possible and not really care about the pitching and just put someone on the mound. But, but. Right, well, the offense with this team is really the strength. I mean, you have to like the experience you bring back from last year, um, especially in the infield. Um, but the pitching, um, it's a chance. Erstad has talked about this a little bit. Um, it is a chance for some younger guys to get in there and get some experience. And that's something that may benefit them down the road in later seasons. But it's not really ideal um, for a long season to have this be a problem at the beginning. And they they could win a decent amount of games just based on the offensive efforts that they can put out. But once you start getting into postseason play and you have to start stringing wins together, having a depleted bullpen and an inexperienced bullpen is something that can really hurt you down the stretch. When you got to think, too, if you're Erstad, I don't want to say he's on the hot seat, but at the same time... He's what, year six now? Year seven? Year seven. Yeah, say about the same time frame as, as Tim Miles. 
I feel like it's not really the time to experiment with, like, let's play some younger guys. Right. It's like, okay, if you'd won, maybe not won a big, because he was here, no, he was here when the Big Ten started, I think. I don't think he ever um, coached in the Big 12. But the fact that if you go down the list of the Big Ten teams that have baseball teams other than, what, Wisconsin doesn't have one, I don't think. Um, no program jumps out and you go, oh, that's a baseball school. Right. None of them. The closest one is Nebraska. The next closest one is Indiana. But even then, like, you go down the list and it's, oh, Nebraska, football, Ohio State, football. Like, most of them are football or basketball. And then it's like, oh, well, they also have a baseball program. So it's just like uh, how you haven't won one or more, not only regular, I mean, you finally won a regular season title, but how have you not won one or more tournament titles? It just, like, baffles me. Sure. Like, I just, I I don't, I'm, now I'm not calling for, like, Erstad's head after 12 games. At the I don't know, it sounds time. like you're calling for Erstad's head after we 12 gotta games. We got to can him. <laughs> um, no, I, I just, like. It just feels, and I know it's March baseball and it's the beginning of the season. They haven't got everything figured out. But it just kind of feels like the same old song and dance through like 15 games where it's like, are they going to be good or no? You just don't know. Well, what's going to happen is they're going to be marginally good. And then at the end of the year, it's going to crash and burn. And we'll be having this conversation again next year. Hopefully not. (laughs) That's exactly. And the Huskers sit at 6-6 and here in 2019. Yeah, no, that's basically, that's what it feels like. It feels like every year we come back to the the same, I don't want to say a baseline point, but you get through your Arizona games and start at home, and it's just like, "Mm, well. And I don't know. I mean, I think they can get the ship righted, but at the same time, like, they'll end up getting a two or three seed in the tournament, maybe, and then or uh, in uh, the NCAA tournament, and then they'll 0-2 barbecue, and we're back here for Erstad's eighth season. Uh, a part of it, too, is I I pay attention enough to baseball that, like, I can care, but at the same time, if you get rid of Erstad, I don't know, I like, who do you bring in? Right. Like, I don't know. It's It's hard to get much better than a former Husker and former major leaguer. Alex Gordon. Well... He's too busy hitting 200. Uh, 212. <laughs> oh, what? Did he ever did he get over 200 last year? I think he got over 200 by the end of the year, but he had to have a really big hot streak to get there. Yeah, cuz he was batting like 189 like the whole year, just like I mean, I'm I haven't played baseball in a while, but I feel like I could stand in the box and potentially hit 189 for a, right. for a season like So, uh Alex Gordon confirmed head coach um yeah, that's yeah. You heard it here first. It's when it happens, call me. We'll we'll get some money moved around. So, uh, another sport with a bat and ball, uh, softball. Uh, up and down season so far for them. They have faced six top twenty-five teams. They went three and three against them, and then they came home to only uh, split a doubleheader with Wichita State, and then get run ruled in the series finale by Wichita State. And they, we said it, Ben. They're they're in a much better position. After I think they started zero and eleven last year, right? Yep. Okay, they're in a much better position than last year because they've won games. Uh, That's important. But winning games will win you more games. Uh, you heard it here. 
Uh, you learn all sorts of good stuff on this show. <laughs> ben, if you haven't learned anything yet today, then you should probably just go. Um, I don't know. Maybe I will. <laughs> um, so I, I don't want to say they're up and down yet because, again, it's so early in both these seasons that it just, like, you can't really tell. But right, and, and if they started 0-11 last year at that point, it would be hard to think that they're going to finish the season 500, which they still did. So being 11-7 and 7 at this point, you know, that gives you a little bit more breathing room and kind of makes you think it's going to end up a little bit better um, than they did last year. Well, and it's very similar to the baseball team's uh, situation where – None of the schools are really softball schools, right? It feels like, and Ronda Ravel here is just like just built a dynasty, basically. And I know they haven't, you know, necessarily won, you know, won the whole damn thing or anything like that. But at the same time, it kind of feels like any year that you know she could get a team to to do that. Right. The consistency is there, and the tradition is there, and that's a lot more than you can say. Um, for a lot of the other schools around the Big Ten. Yeah. And they'll probably be all right. But They'll be all right. They Now, I don't remember who they finish up with. I think they're, they're playing Green Bay today. And then I think they play Green Bay twice. They play uh, Northern – oh, they play Green Bay, Northern Iowa. And then I think they play Green Bay again. Show you how prepared I am here. Uh, here we go. They are, once I find it, Wichita State. There we go. Okay. They're at the Jayhawk Invitation. That's right. So they play Kansas. So they go Green Bay, Northern Iowa, Tulsa, Kansas, and uh, the University of Missouri at Kansas City. So Kansas might be all right. I don't know. I Again, I... I Maybe we should watch more softball. Let's watch more softball, Ben. That's I think we should do New that. Year's resolution. Watch more sports that we normally don't. Another thing with this team is they really have the ability to win close games. Um, six of their wins this year have been by two runs or less. So it's important to be able to close out those close games, and that's what helped them win 9 of 11 games in February, and they won seven in a row in February. Um, but it's more the last few games they've had that inconsistency, and that's what concerns you a little bit. Well, yeah, and you, you start with uh, Olivia Farrell started 5-0 and on the season, the first freshman to start uh, to start a season opener. And then Kalen Jablonski had, you know, had to catch mostly all those losses, which, you know, you're on the wrong end of coming in at the wrong time of the game or you just give up too many runs and then – you don't get any offensive help. Sure. So, right. So the consistency is uh, where that lies. But I, if if I had to put a panic meter on both softball and baseball, I think my panic meter is much higher for baseball than it is right. for softball. Because the problems with baseball, you can identify them a lot more easily, and you understand how those may cost you later on. Softball, it's just a little bit of inconsistency here and there, and those are things that you can sure up as the season goes on. Well, and when only two people are your pitchers, basically. Right. You don't have to worry about... It's a little bit different of a game. Yeah, you don't have to worry about blowing out four elbows to begin the season or right. anything like that. So, yeah. No, if, if, like I said, if I had to put a panic meter, baseball is... It's not like... I'm not saying let's just <laughs> shut down the program let's give for up. the rest of the spring. Yeah, but it's... It needs to be fixed. That's, that's where I'm at with it, so... 
Um, exciting news. At least one of the two Nebraska basketball teams is slated by one bracketologist to make it in. And it's the women. And I've been calling for this for I don't know how many days, how many weeks. And I'm going to try not to get heated about it. But I still have a feeling you may get heated about I it. I will. I don't understand how the third – no, I didn't finish third. Yes, they did. Well, fourth. I don't get how the third seeded and fourth place finish in the tournament team of the Big Ten gets left out of the tournament. I mean, same with the men. But, like – and I get their RPI, their, RPI, their non-conference, whatever. It wasn't that great. But you can't tell me that everyone ahead of them was that much better that them having 21 wins isn't worth putting them in there. And it's hard to say that this team, like, didn't get quality wins to put them in the position they are. I mean, they won how many games on the road this year? You call them road warriors. I mean, it's like when they went on the road, they almost rose to the occasion and played even better. And I think that's something you have to look at, even if that doesn't play into all your metrics and BPI and all that stuff. This is a team that, like, when you just look at that alone, like, that shows you they're a really good basketball team. Well, and they finished, I want to say they finished 9-2 and two on the road because they were 9-0 and oh going into Indiana. They lost Indiana, and then they lost to Maryland on the road to close out the season. So I think they finished 9-2. and two. And it wasn't, I mean, they got kind of stuck with a bad end of the deal. Three of their last, I think three of their last four or three of their last five games we're against Maryland. So you're facing, like, historically the best program. The best Big Ten team. Yeah. That has won the Big – until this year, had won the Big Ten every year since they joined the Big Ten. Right. So you've got to play them three times. And one of them was pretty close. One of them was extreme, like was a shot away from going to overtime or, or winning it. And then the one in – at that point, I think they were just – Maryland was just better suited to to be put in that position um, against them in the tournament. But that being said, I'm not saying they had to get one of those wins, but right now ESPN.com has Nebraska and Creighton both on the bubble, last four in. So not a, I don't think they're the buys. They're are the play-ins. Um, well, maybe they – no, they do play-ins for the women's too, don't they? Maybe they don't. I'm not sure. Well, Ben, I'm not, these I'm are not the things you're quite... supposed to do. This is what you're here for. No, maybe they don't. I don't know. I could have swore they did. but no, at, the, at the very least with this team, um, you obviously want to make the tournament this year. But the future is really, really bright. They've got so much coming back the next few years. And they've got a program that's really on the rise. And I think they're going to be good um, for a long time. Because you had someone like Hannah Whitish running the point who – Last year, stepped in as a freshman and really solidified her role, and she's just really grown in that. The sky is the limit for Kate Kane, um, all Big Ten freshmen. Um, there's really no one that can match up with her. And if she gets her offensive game figured out, she's already really dominant on the defensive side. If she can get any form of offense and get consistency there, there's really no stopping her. And then you've also got Taylor Kissinger, who can shoot threes with the best of them, um, and she just kind of dealt with some injuries this year. So I think if you get everybody healthy, everybody back, we could be having the same conversation next year, hopefully without the drama. And um, I think that they just have a chance to be really, really good for the next few years. And I think 
what's what's amazing too is they only had three seniors. They only had one senior that started. So next year it'll be, I think their main senior will probably be Maddie Simon because she ended up stepping up for Kissinger throughout most of the season um, due to that injury. And I I think the cool thing about like the seniors that didn't play as much is the fact that. They probably kind of just they just passed down what they knew maybe from the the previous coaching staff as well as the current coaching staff as well as just like leadership just like what the culture needs to be for the program what the culture needs to be in the locker room and I think that between Sincor Wood and Janae who uh, Janae Morton who was a transfer between those three I I have a I have a good feeling they're going to leave this place in a pretty good standing and that uh, you know Amy Williams has got this thing figured out and, and next year it. Like you said, sky's the limit. I think they can only go up from here. You would think. I mean, you uh, you could go down here too. But we said last year you could only go up from there because essentially you could. But, no, it's just the way they played in some of the games this season, the way they, you know, their teams may not have been the best teams they were playing, but just like the way they performed, they, the way they played as a team, I'm, I'm not too terribly worried about you know, them coming back or them, you know, falling flat because you look at – I mean, as we're going to get into the men, you, you remember they, they make the tournament and then the next year they bring back almost everybody. And then it's just like, what the hell happened? A little bit of a drop-off, yep. Yeah, a little. Uh, and just like, you know, I don't think – I think if this women's, women's team gets into uh, the tournament, I think they definitely are like slated to, uh, I'd say, end up like back or back in the same position uh, – this time next year too right you would think so and you you talked about those seniors um really important role for them especially changing coaching staffs that's really hard on a program so just the fact that they can be there with their steadying presence even if not all of them are scoring a lot of points filling up the stat sheet Mm -hmm. especially someone like emily wood who can come in and do just whatever you need her to do whether you need her to play five minutes or play 20 minutes maybe hit a few shots for you. That's something that's really invaluable. And like you said, passing down the character of your program and leaving it in a better position um, when they do uh, graduate. And I think uh, with Emily Wood, yeah, she kind of turned into a three-point shooter. She kind of just turned into um, just what I want to say. She she was an extremely like aggressive defensive player. She was just like all over for, for jump balls. She was all over the floor just – I mean, she could she could go toe to toe with a lot of the point guards that that played in the Big Ten, and I thought that was really impressive because there were times where, you know, even the starters would would slip against defense, and it, it it's just nice knowing that you can have someone come off the bench, even if it's for five ten minutes, like you said, and and just crush it for those five ten minutes, and then when they come off the floor, like they put the game in a better spot for the next person to come in. And so before we move on to men's, I just wanted to get a couple of these. It was. Uh, the Nebraska women's basketball Twitter account um, for uh, International Women's Day. They posted some of their their firsts uh, and some of their best players uh, through program history. So I'm just going to read a few of them here. Uh, Martise Ivey was the first 2,000-point scorer for the Huskers and was named the Big 8 Player of the Year in 1988. Her jersey was tired in 2011. Karen Jennings, only Husker to have scored 2,000-plus points and record over 1,000 rebounds, 
is still the all-time leading scorer with 2,405 points. She was also the first three-time first-team academic All-American inducted into the Cosida Academic All-America Hall of Fame in 2008. Nebraska retired her jersey in 1994. And lastly, the 2009-2010 squad was the first to advance to the NCAA Tournament Sweet 16. Their 32 wins that season are a school record, and they hold the record for the longest winning streak in school history with 30 games in a row. Uh, yeah, 32. I, and you said this. You kind of forget been, about that season. You, I, they were good. I mean, and it wasn't even that season. They're just like you look at, you go down when Yori was here and look at some of the like some of the things that they accomplished while she was here, and it was like Sweet Sixteens. It was you know how many tournament appearances, NIT appearances, and they were like twenty six wins, twenty four wins. It was like really consistent above like twenty two to twenty four wins, and then you get thirty two wins where they won thirty in a row, and that's just that's absolutely insane. I I just that's crazy, but. You know, what do I know, right? But maybe we should watch more women's basketball. Maybe we should. I hey, I'm gonna be honest, and you probably already knew this because how often I rant about it. But uh, I have watched more, or cared about more, uh, women's basketball this year than uh, men's basketball. It's just a fact. I just, I, I just dove in and I. It grabbed a hold of you. Yeah, you couldn't well, get enough of it. Basically, they they're just so exciting to watch. I don't know. It's just like there are games, obviously, that it's like okay, this is kind of slow, whatever. But there were so many of the men's basketball games when they're getting blown out. It's like I don't want to watch this. Right. So speaking of men's, uh, as well, they are on the well, wow. They have moved far down. Is this from today? This is from today. This is as recent as March ninth. Joe Lenardi has Nebraska at the very bottom of next four out uh, behind Penn State. Now, riddle me this. Uh, Who did Nebraska beat the last game of the regular season? I think it was Penn State, Ben. I think it was. Uh, I don't... I don't know. I, (laughs) I just, like, can't... I can't with this. I can't with the RPI, the Bractology, and I get like this is his job and he's good at it and he only missed one last year and, and X, Y, Z, whatever. But how, again, if, you know, I can use the same comparison as far as like with the women's too. How does a 20-plus win team, 13 conference wins in the Big Ten, finishes fourth in the Big Ten, get left out? How? Well, first, um, what you mentioned with Joe Lenardi getting, what was it, 66 of 67 teams last year, Mm -hmm. correct. Um, When you start to look into that a little bit more, it's not terribly hard to get quite that level of prediction because, okay, you look at it, 32 of the teams win their conference, they're automatic bids, so you know those. And it's really not that hard to pick the next 30 or so teams of who are going to get the at-large bids just because of who's in the top 25, who you know those quality teams are. So by then you're left with really just a handful of teams you have to pick, and that could come down just to guessing right. So when you look at it, you can say, yeah, it's impressive you pick 66 of the 67 teams, but anyone in their right mind is going to be able to pick a pretty high percentage of those teams ahead of time. 
special edition Sunday show. Ben is going to pick all of all of the teams that are going to be in the bracket before Joe Lenardi, and we'll see who's right. It's going to be Ben. Joe Lenardi is going to leave Nebraska out, and everybody else is going to have him in, and then Nebraska is going to get in. That's that's my guess. But I I think it's it's also really weird too because it's like you want you want to be like oh well, look at Nebraska, look at Nebraska, and it's like they aren't even playing this week. Right. I I. I don't. I wish they were playing this week, just for a little bit more. And I, I've made the joke before: when are they going to start counting that Mississippi State win? When are they going to start counting that Iowa State win right. for RPI? It, we looked this up last night. Like three teams that Nebraska played, their RPI is like two fifty or higher. I mean, you as much as you want to be mad if you get left out, you're not getting hosed because you screwed yourself by playing teams that don't matter. Sure. Stetson, Delaware State, Marist, like, and then St. John's was terrible until two weeks ago. And then they they won a couple of big games, you could say. Yeah, and they they played out of their minds, and then they got beat again. So it's just like you go down and listen. To it. Now on the bubble, what what really sucks, and you brought this up, the uh, the Doc Sadler led Southern Miss Golden Eagles. Southern Miss Golden Eagles. 71-68 overtime, I think, right? Yep. Over Middle Tennessee State. Top seeded in the Conference USA Tournament, Middle Tennessee State. So that one hurts Nebraska for the fact that Middle Tennessee was slated to probably get that automatic bid. And now they're probably going to get an at-large bid. And so then that takes out another spot. Plus there would be the pain if Southern Miss, coached by Doc Sadler, who if they... They're in the semifinals today at 12.45 p.m. Um, if they would go on to win the Conference USA tournament and get into the NCAA tournament over Nebraska, that would sting a little bit, too. I kind of, like, want it to happen now. You I, almost do. I, you, just for, like, the – just for I don't want to say comedic factor, but just for the fact that it's just, like, really, of all teams, that's who it's going to be because I think now they're probably slated to get – they're probably the team that's going to end up winning Conference USA. Oh, there are some good teams left in Conference but, USA. But, I mean, if you beat the top-seeded team in the conference, I mean, it's only downhill put, from there. Right. You probably put yourself in a pretty ha- pretty halfway decent position. And But then you look, Providence got beat last night. Marquette got beat last night. Uh, Oklahoma's done. Bama got a big win, but they're playing Auburn today. Louisville got beat, Okie State got beat, Notre Dame got beat, Arizona State's probably done. And it's just like all the teams, Baylor got beat, all the teams that are in front of Nebraska just like have recently been beaten, Texas as well. UCLA and US, USC are the last two, I think, of teams ahead of them that are still playing other than Alabama. So it's just like what? where in this equation – does Nebraska not match up with these teams? Isn't Oklahoma lost fourteen of the last fifteen games? And how and are yet, they getting into the tournament, Ben? Because Tell Trey Young. Oh because because we want to see Trey Young. Because we, we want to see, see, see him go seven for twenty five from the field. And then they're just bounced immediately. They're gonna, you know what? Put them as like a really high seed, and so let like a fourteen or fifteen just drub them and like move on to the next round. Just I'd be like, fine with that. Because Trey Young's going to go out there, throw up 48 shots, make two of them, and then call it good because he got his shots, and then he's fine. And then he's going to go to the NBA and not get drafted, and then we're good. And then he's done. We never hear about him again. 
Oh no, he'll he'll get drafted. We'll just once he's in the NBA, we'll never hear of him again. You know who was really good at Oklahoma? Buddy Heald. Buddy Heald was pretty good. Buddy Heald was pretty good. And I don't know now. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's the point. I I remember someone like two years ago was like, "Oh, Buddy Heald's going to average like 15 points. He's going to do this." It's like, well, if they put him into a system where he's taking 15 shots a game, maybe. Yeah, I don't know. Is he going to the line 14 times a game? I don't think so. <laughs> so, I don't know. If if you had to put money on it, Ben, on Sunday at 5 o'clock, is Nebraska getting in? I would say no at this point, as much as you want that to happen. Um, I think at this point, you're, I mean, it's, it's really hard to tell because everyone's predictions are all over the map. But at this point, I think you're more keyed in on going to the NIT and having a really good showing there, getting to host some games and finish out the season well. Um, and as good as this season has been and as much as you'd want it to keep going um, into the NCAA tournament, I think that really you're just more inclined to look at next year and look at the possibilities where they you would hope they're not even a bubble team at this point next year, that they've really played themselves into a secure NCAA tournament spot, hoping the Big Ten is a little bit better um, to help out with that. But assuming that James Palmer comes back, stays for another year, um, he's just a transcendent player, and he's he's unlike anyone Nebraska has had for the last few years. And Isaac Copeland as well has really brought a lot to you. Um, and those two transfers coming in have really paid off, and I think that's really important um, for the Miles era because those guys are really pegged as difference makers, and they've they've panned out in every way. And it makes the transfer losses of Michael Jacobson and Ed Morrow and Jariah Horn hurt a little bit less because when those guys left, it started to look a little bit like, you know, a little who, who, who are we even going to put on the court this year? But you start looking at how those guys' positions match up with Palmer and Copeland, and you start to read between the lines a little bit and think maybe there's a reason those guys left. And, you know, you wish all them the best at their other schools um, as they finish out their careers. But James Palmer is an upgrade over Jariah Horn, and Isaac Copeland is an upgrade over Michael Jacobson. I mean, it's just that simple. And then you look at the rest of the lineup you have for next year, losing Evan Taylor and Anton Gill hurts, obviously, because those guys grew into good leadership roles. Um, but Thomas Allen is a guy who got some time, who's going to step into those roles, and he's only going to get better. Um, and then you still have Jack McVeigh sitting on the end of the bench for this year. And he's, he's a guy who's a senior, who's going to be a leader, who can come in and hit some shots, and he may need to fill a little bit of a role, too, um, with both Gill and Taylor leaving. And the biggest development, though, I think, is in the post and the development of Isaiah Roby um, and just the fact that he can play the five now and someone like Jordy Shimaga can play more of a complementary role. Um, he just looked a lot more comfortable in that role. And the sky is really the limit for Roby. Um, you hear it said a lot about him. If only he knew how good he was because the natural ability is there. And you saw flashes of it this year where he can be a really, really good player and the type of guy and the type of athlete Nebraska hasn't had in a while. I think if Roby had some like meat on his bones, that he would he would be a phenomenal post player because he's got the moves for it, he's got the ability for it. I just don't think he can go up against you know the biggest centers in in the Big Ten or the biggest posts against a lot of non-conference teams either. But and I think you're right with some of them having to fill roles or maybe just like fill different spots. Jordy was great, and when he came back, to realize that 
maybe he only needs to play 15 minutes a game coming off the bench because he, like you said, he felt more comfortable. There's a game he he only played like 12 minutes. He grabbed like eight rebounds. So right. it's just like. And then there were times they'd play him for 22-24, and he just wouldn't do anything. So it's just finding out what works best for them. And like you said, you want to hope that it's it's this year that they get in. But if they return everybody, if Palmer sticks it out for one more year, I think next year they, uh, you know, I, I think they put themselves in a much better position where, like you said, we're not talking about bubble. We're talking about they're getting in. And and they get this thing, you know, geared up, ready to go. Because I I think this team has has a real capability of of being phenomenal. They just I I just don't know why you know the eye test doesn't matter more. Because if they played some of the teams they lost to in the beginning of the season, I think they're routing some of them. Sure, but I don't know. I I guess it'll be interesting to see. And with with the tournament and the selection coming up. I just wanted to ask: Do you have, you know, you have one or two teams you think might might be able to make a run? Is there anybody that you've kind of got your eye on, or kind of just crossing your fingers and hoping it works? Um, the Notre Dame Fighting Irish, um, they're squarely on the bubble right now. They lost to Duke last night in the ACC tournament, but with Bonzi Colson back um, after he missed a lot of this season with an injury, um, th- they beat Virginia Tech, who's projected to be kind of a middle seed. Um, I think they're a team who can get hot and go on a run if they do, in fact, get in. Um, Maybe a little bit more under the radar out of the Patriot League, um, Bucknell. um, They won their conference championship game by 29 points. Um, They're projected to be about a 13 seed. That's someone who I could see maybe not making a deep run, but they they could get an early round upset over someone who's not quite aware of them and maybe... Maybe win a second game in the tournament. I'm, I'm not saying they're going to go all the way or anything, but maybe keep your eye on Bucknell. Unfortunately, Bucknell is currently slated to play the team that I have, like that I want to make a run. I think Michigan is, is they've jumped up squarely to a to a three seed, and they they're good. They, I mean, they, coming off that Big Ten win, they've just uh, they've just hit some kind of a hot streak. That if they can keep that going, it's unfortunate that they aren't playing this week because. It'd be nice probably to keep that rolling, but at the same time, uh, you know, I didn't know much about Bucknell, but there's that 314, or if they end up moving up to a 13, that 413 seed um, game that always ends up. You always try to pick one or two of those, and then last year all the four seeds decided to win their game, and that's, you know, but I I think there'll be a few more upsets this year than than you'd think. If Middle Tennessee gets in as kind of a mid-11, 12, I think they could make a run. Xavier's really good. I don't know, not if Middle Tennessee has to play Southern Miss again. <laughs> That's what they should do. They should make them play each other again. Well, I mean, when they meet in the Final Four, inevitably. Oh, jeez. Could you imagine Doc Sadler in the Final Four? <laughs> <laughs> I don't... I No, I don't want that to happen. I... No, <laughs> bad memories. Um, no, I think Xavier could potentially make a run. I think that you know Virginia's going to hold everybody to forty points. Uh, Nova, everyone. It seems like when everyone thinks Nova's going to be really good, they blow it. When Nova, then when everyone forgets be, about them, yeah, that's when that's when they get bad. You. They're playing for the the national championship, and it's just. You know, I think some of the teams at the beginning of the year that when they were saying like, "Oh, Wichita State's gonna be really good, Oklahoma's gonna be really good," those teams, some of them just fallen so far off like the face of the earth that they're not irrelevant. But 
like there's probably only about four to six teams that have a real solid chance of like that you could look at and go okay this is a final four team well and the field is a little bit more even this year there's no team who you're like okay well they're just way better than everyone else it's a little bit more wide open i think yeah all right well as we've got probably about 20 minutes here we'll do the portion as jake would usually stop me from ranting he'd say we'll do the portion of the show where we talk about stats uh I'd like to start with just we couldn't find a, a true baseball beat down because last week we were just handed a gift from God that Mississippi Valley State was bad at baseball. Uh, that and New Mexico State just decided to just open a, a can of just a good old dirt road ass kicking is what it was, but it was bad. Uh, but there was a basketball beat down <laughs> in you women's call basketball. It yeah, well, there's not really another word for it. Uh, well, there's a few words for it, but UConn decided to beat Cincinnati in the semifinal. So not only was it in the conference tournament, it was in the semifinal in the conference tournament. 75-21. to 21. Uh, UConn improved to 100-0 in the American Athletic Conference play um, since joining. As long, along with that, they held Cincinnati to zero points in the second quarter. They held them to five in the first, six in the third, and then they gave up double digits in the fourth with ten. And I believe they went on like a forty. Uh, they went over a thirty-eight and zero run uh, that lasted fifteen minutes from the first quarter that spilled uh, into the third. And so that's uh, that's bad. That's not good. Well, I think the worst part is that Cincinnati had their uh, NCAA tournament dreams bashed at that point. Even if they were like on the bonus point, if I'm, gonna, <laughs> and I know it's UConn, so it's you know you're you're rating it next to arguably the greatest women's basketball program of all time. Uh, I don't even know if that's arguably. I think that's just a fact. But well, then you uh, can then you know exactly how much work you have to do. We're like, well, we're 50 points worse than the arguably the greatest women's basketball program of all time. Well, if you want to hear the last time they played Cincinnati, so they played them in the regular season too. They beat Cincinnati the first time, 106 to 65. Well, at least they scored some points. They they scored 65 points, but they still got beat by 41. May have had a couple defensive breakdowns here and there. I think they. I think at one point. Oriema just pulled Katie Lou Samuelson off the floor and was playing with was just playing with four players. Well, uh, we could we just need to do a whole show on UConn women's basketball team. They beat Wichita State earlier this year, one twenty four to forty three. So that happened. I said that out loud and I still don't believe it, but I it's just I'm like trying to register that for a second. They and they beat they beat like the best teams in the country by a lot. It's just I don't I don't get it. UConn's really good. They're good at basketball. Uh my baseball player of the week, since we didn't have a baseball beatdown of the week, is uh Spencer Torkelson. He's a freshman at Arizona State, he plays first base. He has eight home runs through the first thirteen games which is just three home runs shy of the freshman record set by the greatest home run hitter of all time, Fight Me Ben, Barry Bonds, uh, and Pac-12 player. And he was the Pac-12 player of the week. Uh, he's also batting 367, as well as a 421 on base percentage, and his slugging 959 
OPS 1.380. Uh, he has eight, 18 hits. So eight of his 18 hits are have been out of the park, 15 RBI. He has struck out 14 times. So much like his predecessor, Barry Bonds, if it's not going out of the park, he's probably getting sat down looking. Um, or swinging, I guess. Maybe, you know, whatever. I don't know how many times he's been walked. Has he been walked a lot? Because if that's the case, he's literally built like Barry Bonds. Well, he's been walked five times. He, this kid is set up to be Barry Bonds, I think. Get him some juice. Let's go. Challenge that record. <laughs> I, I'm going to go break that record. I'm going to break Barry Bonds' record. I'm transferring. Here you go. Uh, based on game score, our college basketball, men's basketball players of the week, Marvin Bagley the third last night against Notre Dame with a game score of 29.4, had 33 points and 17 rebounds. He was 13 of 20 from two-point, and he ended up two for three from three-point. I want to say dreaded because he only took four, but one for four from the free-throw line. And I'm going to mess this name up, but I'm going to say it anyways. Last night against Portland State, Bogdan Bliznik, and that's probably wrong, but that's okay. Uh, With a game score of 28.9, had 35 points, 7 rebounds, and where was it here? And he was 4 of 5 from 3.9 of 11 from free throws, and 7 of 9 from 2 point in 37 minutes of play. So... Bogdan, if you're listening um, and we messed your name up, uh, we sincerely apologize. Tweet us at KRNU Chasing Hist because I guess Chasing History was taken. Um, that sucks, but it's fine. Um, we probably messed that up. That's okay, though. That's probably not okay, but whatever. So into our uh, – we've got about 15 minutes here. So, Ben, if you remember – one of the greatest Huskers of all time, football. Oh, wait, hold on. Sorry. The other player of the week, uh, Grand, Grand Island Central Catholic, right? I yep, believe. Grand Island Central Catholic. Myra Almyra, 31 points, uh, C1 state basketball game last night. Uh, they fell to Lincoln Christian, uh, which actually we could probably find out that Lincoln Christian score. We could get that. Um, out before because they they played at nine right yeah they were the early game today um i will look for that okay well let me preface into this one of the greatest hustlers of all time we all know know and love him and dominican sue in 2009-10 was robbed of a heisman and again ben fight me the facts are there for themselves and Dominican Sue was the fourth best defensive line in 2009 by himself. That's impressive. By himself. He had more blocked kicks than Alabama, Texas, and Florida combined from the defensive line. Alabama had three, Texas none, Florida none, Sue three. Like... Sue is arguably one of the the from I, I I like to go back let's say what this will be eight years now because the NFL we kind of skipped over the whole NFL combine thing we can come back to it briefly but the NFL combine recently yeah uh, there were five Huskers there and obviously nothing was too major to the point where I was like wow this is really great no one really uh, you know ran any 
anything spectacular. No one, you know, ripped out 45, you know, reps on the bench press. Harrison Phillips had 42. Nebraska kid. Uh, played at Stanford, though. And then, uh, <laughs> did you see Sybil's story about Tanner Lee? I did oh. not read that story. I saw you tweeted about it, though. Tanner Lee hurt Steve Sipple. <laughs> I don't know what he did, but Sip ripped into that guy. And be, saying that <laughs> the combine is, like, perfect for him because practice is where he was always his best. And it's just, no offense to Sipple, the story was great. It was also hilarious. But Two things you would expect from Stephen M. Sipple. Yes. Great content, also hilarious. So, but, you know, nothing in that combine really, like, stood out. Uh, for me personally, there were, I mean, there were a couple things that stood out. The fact that like Shaquem Griffin ran what? He ran a four three eight forty. 40. Uh, he bench pressed 20 times, 225, 20 times, which is 20 times more than I could. Um, 20 times more than we could combined. And I, I don't know, there were, how do you get like jacked about the NFL Combine or do you really care? I do not get jacked about the NFL Combine. Um, I think you have to take everything you see there with a grain of salt, really, um, because you've seen guys shoot up the draft board based only on what they did at the Combine. You think of guys like Darius Hayward Bay or John Ross, who they run a fast 40 time, so then that suddenly means they're a top 10 NFL draft pick, and you see them fizzle out pretty quick. Um, so while it is, it's kind of cool to see all those guys in one spot, kind of comparing them to each other side by side. Um, I think that it's more of a product of this being the dead portion of the off season for the NFL. And it's really all we have to get excited about. And I think what's most interesting to me is like sometimes how these guys will handle like media and how they handle like their press conferences. And I think, um, Lamar Jackson did really well. With, with his press conferences. One, he was calling everybody sir, and I just, like, I don't think I've seen many college kids that, like, do that at, yeah. that, at that level. And on top of that, he was just berated with, well, you know, why aren't you going to run the 40? And he's like, you know, he, he would give his answer. And then, you know, someone would ask him, like, are you going to play quarterback, receiver? He's like, I'm going to play for the team that wants me to play quarterback. Like, he just... It's not that it was even a rehearsed answer. It's just that he knows in his mind what's right. And I don't know why the hell you'd put that guy at receiver. I don't right. know how he's too – I said this last week. If Lamar Jackson is too small to be a quarterback in the NFL, I'm too small to be a quarterback in the NFL. And I think I weigh more than Lamar Jackson does. I'm the same height as he is. Lamar Jackson weighs 211 pounds. I've got about three pounds on him. He's also got about – Six tenths of a second in the forty on me, probably right. too. So, it's just you know what I mean. Like he's got one intangible thing that that makes him really good. And if he didn't have a terrible offensive line at Louisville, his numbers may have been even even more like blown up. The fact he had that many rushing yards, I know, was a lot because he had to get out of the pocket. He's always running for his life. Exactly. But at the same time, he then would go out and throw for thirty five hundred yards. It's like. Yeah, and he's got the skills. I think with the the talk that some people want him at wide receiver is more of like the preference of a few teams. Um, but the team who wants him at wide receiver isn't going to spend a high draft pick on him. Mm. A, a team who wants him at quarterback, it's, it's going to be a team who's probably established for the next few years at quarterback. He's not someone you're necessarily going to bring in and start right away. 
Um, someone that jumps out to me is who would maybe take a chance on him is someone like the Green Bay Packers, because um, they're set at quarterback for the next few years. Mm. But you saw with Aaron Rodgers hurt and Brett Hundley, the whole experiment with him, that did not go very well. And it's pretty apparent that he's not the guy for the future there. So if you bring Lamar Jackson into an offense where he can sit for a few years and learn, I think he can be a really effective player, especially when he actually has some weapons around him, which is something he did not have at Louisville. I just like you, – you go down the list of quarterbacks that are in this draft, and Jake and I were talking about this over text this week. Lamar's the best quarterback in this draft. Lamar Jackson, I think, arguably could be the best quarterback in this draft, followed closely by, I think, Josh Rosen. I, uh, you know, Josh Allen is good, but I think he's a little overrated. I mean, he played for Wyoming, and I know that's not like that shouldn't be your qualifier, but at the same time, like, nothing Josh Allen is doing makes him necessarily unique other than he's six foot five. Lamar Jackson at least brings you the fact that, like, hey, if we wanted to run, we could. Right. And some of the other guys in the draft, I mean, even like Baker could do that too. But I would, I would, you know, I don't want to say Lamar's one, Baker's two. But between those two, like, I think if they get put into the right system and if they get coached up the right way and, you know, they get a, a veteran quarterback ahead of them, uh, that they, they just need a year or two and kind of make sure they just solidify their passing game and try to find a way to implement their mobility. I think those two could easily have maybe not lengthy careers, but, you know, they could have a good five, seven-year stint in the NFL. Well, like, I think and, that's fair. And with quarterbacks leading up to the NFL draft, when, when Mel Kuyper and Todd McShay have nothing else to do, they'll, they'll switch their order of who they have as their best quarterback 17 times in the next couple months here um, leading up to the draft where it's, it's really just hard to predict how a guy's going to pan out because it depends so much on which team he goes to, which system he gets into, and whether he has to play right away. Like someone like Mitchell Trubisky for the Bears, I mean, they gave up an arm and a leg to get him um, moving up that high in the draft, and he started, what, half the season for him, and it didn't go very well. Um, Deshaun Watson, on the other hand, goes somewhere like Houston. Um, both Trubisky and Patrick Mahomes get taken ahead of him. Um, Mahomes, it's hard to tell because he hasn't seen the field extensively yet. But Deshaun Watson comes in for those few games before he gets hurt, and he looks like the MVP of the league, you could argue. Until he gets hurt, and right. It's, it's just so hard to predict how a guy's going to pan out, and you have to look past more than just the first couple years. Yeah, and I think Bill O'Brien just – he ran a he ran a spread offense with the Texans and Deshaun Watson fit into it perfectly and that just it worked out for him so it's yeah it's about finding the right system but like the right coach to put maybe not use the system they currently have but develop the system to accommodate what quarter what the quarterback play they want to go with it is and I think Lamar will find a place to set in. Um, ben, you've probably heard me say this before as we both work at the Journal Star and I, I like to. You know, rustle everybody's feathers. Tanner Lee is going to get picked in the fifth round. Yes or no? I would not be terribly surprised. See, that's the thing. I'm not going to be surprised if it happens, but at the same time, if it happens, I'm going to be like, really? Like, is is this the year? And this is how we'll get into this because we got the last five minutes, and then I still kind of want to do the Sue thing really quick. But is this the year that the Husker streak of of someone being drafted breaks, or who gets drafted? Um. Well, Tanner Lee may be the best opportunity. Um. 
just because you right. can't you can't teach and you can't coach what he has, which is size and a good arm. Aside from the struggles he's had in college mm-hmm. in both systems he's been in, um, but there's there's could be someone who's going to take a shot on him and. And there are plenty of quarterbacks who are about his caliber who are second or third on the depth chart somewhere. Um, as far as other Huskers go, someone like Drew Brown, probably not going to get drafted, but you hope he still lands somewhere. Mm-hmm. Um, and really the only oppor- other opportunities they're going to have are Josh Kalu and Chris Jones. Um, Kalu could be a little bit intriguing just because he's played both corner and safety in college. And I think his senior year... Um, he had a really good first game against Arkansas State, and then when he went down um, the next week against Oregon, the defense really struggled after that. And I think that he's he's a player who a team could look at um, to play multiple positions um, as a defensive back, uh, maybe a nickel back. Um, Chris Jones, it's hard to tell. He missed so much time. Um, the ability is there with him, but he didn't show particularly well um, at the combine. Mm-hmm. Um but it's really just hard to tell with those guys. Yeah, I think we'll we get a better picture for Kalu and um, uh, Kalu and Jones probably at their pro day once they run a forty again and, and get all that stuff figured out too. Uh, and the point of me bringing up Sue being the fourth best uh, defensive line in two thousand nine is we got about three minutes here. Is uh, we were trying to figure out who the best Husker since Indomitian Sue was to get drafted, and I think we're pretty much in agreement because going down the list, he's about the only one that's really done anything. Uh, Levante David, I think, is is a solid. Um, basically, being the greatest linebacker in Tampa. I can't say that because there is a guy of the name Barrett Rude that played um, for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. But Levante David, one of the best linebackers in the NFL right now. Basically, the leading tackler of the NFL right now. <laughs> like, it's got to be Levante David. Here's a stat for you. He's averaged 127 and a half combined tackles. Uh, per uh, per year in his career, and he's missed multiple games in two years of his career. So he's still put out that level of production even when he's missed time. That's pretty impressive. And just going back to watching him at Nebraska, I mean, that guy was all over the field. Like, it seemed like only one out of every four plays, Levante David wasn't in on the tackle. And the fact that he slipped all the way to the second round, I mean, credit the Bucks uh, for coming away with him. I mean, it was smart for him, but yeah. But yeah. It's that was the thing with with Levante David. That's the one that you're like, that's who you're gonna miss out of your lineup. That was who you missed from the roster because you have not had a linebacker that is the Levante David type since him, since Levante David. Right. And you just and you got some decent pass rushers, and you thought maybe Gregory could kind of be like that, you know, stand up DN, maybe outside linebacker pass rush, and that never really worked out um, all too well. Gregory was a great defensive end, but. Um, Levante David has to be. And the reason I bring up Sue, uh, best since Sue, because his last year in college, he had 82 tackles, 23 for a loss, 12 sacks, 24 quarterback hurries, 10 pass breakups, an interception, a forced fumble, and he blocked three kicks, which was good to be the fourth best defensive line. Where he led some of these categories, like I said, he basically led blocked kicks. Uh, and it's just it's crazy and pass breakups you led pass breakups so i sue levante david since 2010 are probably your two best huskers that have ended up in the nfl yep i would agree all right ben it's about that time do you have any 
parting words you ever uh you know you got anything to say yeah uh one last update um Picking up from earlier, Lincoln Christian boys basketball team lost in the state semifinal to Wahoo 60-48 to today. Um, so that ends Lincoln Christian season. They'll be playing the third place game tomorrow. Um, but state tournament going on. Um, a lot of good basketball. A lot of exciting basketball yesterday. Five overtime games, including a triple overtime game between uh, Lincoln Pius and uh, who they play, uh, Creighton Prep. Creighton Prep, yep. Um and you had a buzzer beater um, with BRLD against Ponca for a big upset. Um, crazy stuff happening. It's March. Um, come out and watch some games. Watch some high school basketball. Read Ben Jones, LincolnJournalStar.com, uh, for high school updates. Ben, thanks for sitting in, filling in for Jake, and maybe we can get you on another time, and uh, we'll do this thing again. I'm Colton Stone. He's Ben Jones. Jake Larson back next week. Uh, Chasing History, 10 a.m. on Fridays. Thanks for listening.